0: Welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. Our usual reminders as we begin. First, I am not an expert. I'm just a person like you living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. And lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS. But what you choose to do with that information is always your choice. And what works for one may not work for all. It has been a while. I hope this episode finds you well. I've been busy writing after my research-filled staycation readathon, and have a handful of episodes in various stages of development. So stay tuned. Lots of good stuff coming your way in the weeks to come. In our previous episode, we explored the healthy balance of selfish and selfless behaviors and learned how we can actually increase our ability to be more selfless by being just a bit more selfish in strategic ways, taking care of ourselves so we can take better care of others. It's the idea of me so that we. Being intentional about when and how we choose to be selfish and selfless can help us lead a happy and fruitful life. But what happens when we don't have a choice about something that happens in our lives? Unchosen change can be rough. And one way that life with MS can be unpredictably tough in a way that others may struggle to understand is that it can seriously impact our vision. So today, we'll be looking at everything vision-related for those of us living with MS. This is a very relevant episode for me, since it was my vision loss years ago that resulted in my loss of livelihood and subsequent disability retirement from coaching teachers, a job I absolutely loved and would have enjoyed until typical retirement age. It's also relevant for me because my visual impairment is one of my biggest ongoing impairments from MS that impacts my life on a daily basis and gets progressively worse during warmer months and times of high stress. I'm grateful, however, that I've found a way through this podcast and other avenues to continue to put good out into the world to help our community, even though I can no longer do so in a typical or standard work environment. If you're listening and you're currently struggling with your vision, please don't let my personal vision story scare you. While vision loss can be incredibly frightening, in this episode you'll learn that for the vast majority of us, the damage is limited and temporary. We'll look at what the research says and what we can do about it, since our eyes are truly our window to the world and our most important tool of engagement with our fellow humans. First, it's important to note that the research out there on optic neuritis as it pertains to MS runs the gamut. I've found UK MS sites to have the most impressive studies and data collection in recent years, so I typically use them as my guide when I'm struggling to find useful patterns in the data. For example, the vast majority of the research I studied did agree that for 20 to 25% of people diagnosed with MS, optic neuritis was the first symptom noticed, so it's unanimously agreed upon as the most common entry point to an MS diagnosis. Some sources believe this number is as high as 50%. It's important to share here that if optic neuritis is the first symptom you've experienced, it might not 100% be a sign of MS. So further examination and testing is often required. In other words, don't panic and make any assumptions, or rely on me or Dr. Google to diagnose your optic neuritis. This is important to note because often people, and even many neurologists, equate an optic neuritis diagnosis with MS, but that is not always the case. And people who experience optic neuritis without an underlying cause of MS have a much better chance of full visual recovery. Whereas optic neuritis, when associated with a diagnosis of MS, has a recovery rate that's not often quite as good and is more likely to result in some level of permanent damage. Because optic neuritis can occur in tandem with a variety of illnesses, it's hard to find reliable information that isolates the optic neuritis in terms of MS. This is why, depending on which sites you research, you'll see that most researchers believe that between 50 to 80% of people diagnosed with MS will experience optic neuritis at some point, and for many, it may be recurring over time. Some MS sites even state, and I quote one, that nearly everyone with MS will experience some vision problems, such as blurriness, double vision, or vision loss. Since many, if not all of us, will encounter this experience at some point, it's important to be prepared so that we can navigate it well and limit the damage we incur. So if you're listening today but are not yet diagnosed with MS, it's even more important to share what you're experiencing with your doctor right away to better understand the underlying cause of your visual impairments. Before we go any further, it's also important to mention that while optic neuritis is quite common with MS, it can also be linked to other autoimmune diseases, as well as fungal, viral, and bacterial infections, including but not limited to Lyme disease, lupus, meningitis, measles, chickenpox, herpes, mumps, and mono. It can also be linked to respiratory infections like pneumonia. Yet again, this is why it's so critical to get help from a skilled specialist right away, since the optic neuritis could be caused by a wide variety of culprits. So let's zoom in and take a closer look at optic neuritis. What on earth is it? What happens? What does it feel like? Is it permanent? Why is it so commonly associated with MS? What can I do about it? These are all great questions that we'll answer together today. Optic neuritis is the name for inflammation of the optic nerve, which is the nerve that carries important messages from the eye to the brain, and from the brain to the eye. Optic neuritis most often presents itself gradually through demyelination of the protective coating on our optical nerve over the course of a few days to a week. For some people, it can develop much faster in just a few hours, or even overnight while sleeping. As MS progresses, so too does demyelination, which often means we are no longer able to recover to our fully normal state once in recovery. It is normal for our vision to deteriorate as we age. MS just makes the steady decline a little, or a lot, more sporadic and unpredictable. Just as MS is annoyingly variable and that each of our experiences is largely unique from what our brothers or sisters with MS experience, optic neuritis is quite similar in that the impact optic neuritis can have on our vision can range from just slightly annoyingly blurry to complete loss of sight. It most often impacts just one eye at a time, although it can affect both either concurrently or different eyes for different episodes of optic neuritis. Since optic neuritis and visual disturbances are common for those of us with MS, it's important that we know about them so that we can make the best choices regarding our ongoing care. Optic neuritis can be quite minor or quite severe. Understanding what we might encounter helps us to know what to do when we do experience them and can help prepare us for any potential permanent limitations. Most of you likely understand that with MS, our body attacks and damages the myelin sheath that protects and insulates our nerves. Damage to these nerves disrupts communication between the brain command central and other parts of our body, disrupting our normal function. When our nerves are damaged, we experience a wide range of symptoms, and when that damage occurs to the optical nerve or pathways that control our visual function, the result is vision problems. Did you know that two-thirds of the brain is involved in processing images it receives from our eyes? While MS gratefully usually impacts areas of the brain that are not associated with visual processing, that's still an awful lot of brain real estate that could sustain damage and negatively impact our visual ability. More often, the optic nerve pathway, which aids both eyes moving and working in unison, is impacted by optic neuritis, which results in typically temporary visual impairment. With optic neuritis, symptoms generally get worse for one or even two weeks, then slowly begin to improve. 80% of optic neuritis patients start to experience marked improvement within three weeks, and most people are able to achieve mostly normal vision within two to six months of an acute episode. Only 10% remain without any improvement after five weeks. The more severe the attack, the poorer the outcome, and the greater probability for more permanent impairment. It's not unusual for people to continue to recover for a good year after the onset. About 50% of people experiencing optic neuritis will experience it again within the next 10 years, so it's wise to be educated about ways we can protect our vision, which we'll get into in a little bit. There's also evidence stated in Dr. Malik's article entitled Factors Associated with Recovery from Acute Optic Neuritis in Patients with MS, published in Neurology Magazine, that states several interesting study statistics worth sharing. The first is that severe optic neuritis is more common, 48.2%, while mild optic neuritis was more rarely observed, 11.1%. In this study, the majority of patients, 79.8%, experienced a complete recovery, with 20.2% citing a fair or poor recovery. Men showed slightly worse levels of recovery, and while steroids are often utilized to assist in the recovery, the evidence of impact remains inconclusive, although intravenous steroids showed more promise than oral steroids. One study showed lower recovery rates in African-Americans at 61% vision recovery after one year, with Caucasians reporting 92% recovery at the one year mark. In general, across lines of difference, the more severe the attack, the poorer the outcome. This statement definitely rings true to me. I have not met many others who experienced 100% loss of vision, total darkness with optic neuritis like I did. My recovery was much slower, and although I'm proud that I was able to recover a good 20% more functionality after my optical neurologist felt I had plateaued, at this point there is little I can do about the damage I have accrued other than try to protect myself from further damage. As an overview, optic neuritis may include scotoma, which is blind spots in our central vision. Eyeball and or eye socket pain that worsens with eye movement. Blurred vision with hazy outlines or fuzziness. Diminished visual acuity, our decreased ability to read printed words or recognize objects or people. Diplopia, double vision. Dizziness and mobility issues like feeling off balance, experiencing vertigo or the inability to focus on objects. Nystagmus, or jerking, which are quick involuntary eye movements that make letters or objects appear to be moving or jumping. Headaches, or migraines, pain that worsens with reading or is triggered by light. We also might experience kaleidoscope vision, which is bright colored spinning distorted images that often accompany a migraine. We can experience photosensitivity, extreme pupil sensitivity to sunlight, or other types of bright light. Occasional total loss of sight, either temporary or permanent, or loss of color detection functionality, also temporary or permanent. Several of these visual impairments, while often included in an optic neuritis diagnosis, can also exist on their own. So this is yet another reason why seeing a skilled optical neurologist at the onset of symptoms is so important when we rely so heavily on our vision to interact with the world. For example, nystagmus, the jerking, involuntary, or uncontrolled eye movements, which often causes dizziness or loss of balance, can exist without being officially categorized as optic neuritis. These eye movements can be vertical, horizontal, or they can rotate, so it can be quite difficult to navigate our typical terrain when experiencing this type of impairment. Nystagmus can be ongoing or sporadic in nature, and there aren't many helpful treatments available, although some claim relief from gabapentin. In a similar way, blurred or double vision, diplopia, can occur when one eye muscle is weaker than another and our eyes are not aligning properly. This often causes significant fatigue from reading, loss of depth perception, and visual confusion. Diplopia is common once MS begins to affect the brainstem, since it is the brainstem that helps to coordinate eye movement and keeps the eyes working together in harmony. The muscles that move our eyes are controlled by our cranial nerves that pass through the brainstem. And when our eyes send different messages to our brain, we get confused and see two images instead of one. Sometimes they appear side by side or are sometimes stacked vertically. Gratefully, diplopia can resolve itself fully and spontaneously disappear, or progressive MS can lead to ongoing and even permanent double vision. When diplopia is experienced as a new symptom, it may signify an MS relapse. Our doctors might prescribe a round of corticosteroids or even short-term usage of an eye patch to assist with driving or other tasks. There are even special lenses known as prism lenses that may be helpful for ongoing cases of severe diplopia. Beyond optic neuritis, diplopia, and nystagmus, there is also NMO, or neuromyelitis optica, According to my optical neurologist, it's critical when experiencing visual impairment for the first time to have this carefully checked, since optic neuritis and NMO can manifest similarly, but vary significantly in both seriousness and treatment. So again, this is a time where Dr. Google or a Facebook group is not the best place to get reliable care and treatment advice. Briefly, neuromyelitis optica, or NMO, is a central nervous system disorder that primarily affects the eye nerves, hence optic neuritis, and the spinal cord, myelitis. NMO occurs when the body's immune system reacts in the central nervous system, mainly impacting the optic nerves and spinal cord, but sometimes in the brain. NMO typically appears after an infection and is often misdiagnosed as MS, even though it's an entirely different condition. NMO is quite rare, but it's not to be ignored, as it can cause blindness in one or both eyes, painful spasms, loss of sensations, bladder and bowel dysfunction, weakness, and even paralysis in the extremities, and even uncontrollable hiccups or vomiting. Some NMO flares can be temporary, others can result in permanent damage. Scary stuff, so once again, get seen by an expert. It's also important here to mention Uthoff's syndrome, which is a symptom of MS, which is characterized by worsening of visual ability caused by an increase in temperature, often through exercise or overheating. It's possible to experience Uthoff's syndrome without having full-on optic neuritis or as an ongoing temporary or permanent symptom following an episode of optic neuritis. In the case of Uthoff's syndrome, typically decreasing our body temperatures to normal is enough to allow the nerve fibers to resume their normal messaging patterns and ability. There's no treatment for Uthoff's syndrome other than to avoid overheating. This might mean redefining what exercise looks like for us or when we can do it safely, limiting exposure to high temperatures, and using tools like cooling vests and frog-tog evaporative cooling towels, air conditioning, ice, and iced beverages, or taking cooling baths or showers. Check out episode 13, Help, My Personal Thermostat is Broken, for more helpful information about combating MS heat intolerance. Color vision and visual field are almost always affected by optic neuritis. Colors might appear darker or washed out, and we may develop unique blind spots. For me, I have no reliable color vision in my right eye. Every so often, I can see a hint of a muted mustard yellow or some other isolated color. But my right optical nerve, which currently operates at 61% functionality, does not detect color. The good news is that if we are lucky to have an unaffected eye, the healthy eye will often go to great lengths to learn to compensate for the damage. So that we are using both eyes, our visual damage does not seem as severe. What's important to note, however, is that the healthy eye may experience surprisingly rapid and significant fatigue from working so hard. So it is important to help keep our healthy eye just that, by using helpful visual aids and through lifestyle interventions, several of which I'll share here in a bit. As mentioned, we may also have an area of visual field impacted, either centrally or impacting our peripheral vision. This too can be temporary or permanent. Optic neuritis can be quite painful and further exacerbated by any subsequent eye movement. The pain usually lasts a few days and for most people is not too severe. If the pain is severe, it's important to notify your doctor right away as something else might be complicating the issue. Sometimes an eye patch may help especially if the visual impairment is accompanied by dizziness or vertigo. I found an eye patch to be quite helpful during my first few months of recovery when I was struggling with vertigo. I could only wear it comfortably for short periods of time, but it definitely helped rest my good eye. Some of us may notice blurred vision or a blind spot in the center of our vision. Some may experience flashes of light called phosphenes, especially triggered by movement of the eye. We may experience photophobia as well. Photophobia is defined as an increased sensitivity and aversion to light. We'll talk more about photophobia in a bit. So if we're experiencing visual impairment and seek out our neurologist, or better yet an optical neurologist, what can we expect as far as treatment? Optic neuritis can be diagnosed by a neurologist, optical neurologist, or an ophthalmologist. If your optical nerve is as damaged as mine is, even my optometrist can see the damage with his naked eye since he knows where to look. An important part of the optic neuritis diagnostic exam is to share our neurologic health history. They'll want to know how our vision is impacted and how long we've noticed various deficiencies. There may also be a battery of tests and images requested to glean more information, including blood tests, visual field tests, visual evoked potentials tests, which check how long it takes for our brain to react to various visual stimuli, especially bright lights. Visual acuity is also tested using common letter charts as are testing the ability to differentiate color. The Ishihara color vision test book for color deficiency is most often utilized as the gold standard. This book contains 24 plates that become more difficult to discern as they progress. Within the pattern on each page are dots which form a number or shape clearly visible to those with normal color vision and invisible or difficult to see to those with visual defect. This book fascinates me. It's been interesting for me to note that over time, I still cannot read the first page with my right eye, which by now I know is supposed to be easily recognizable as the number 12. It's also pretty standard to ask for an MRI of the optic nerve and the brain to look for inflammation and other indicators of damage. There might even be more tests if the pain we experience is severe, we've lost 100% of sight in the affected eye or both eyes, or if we don't experience any improvement in the month's time. Once the doctor has a clear diagnosis of optic neuritis and its underlying cause, we can move into the treatment phase. Like many aspects of MS, the healer is time and patience and hope. However, if our symptoms are severe, we might be given the typical three-day steroid infusion. This has in some studies been shown to potentially jumpstart or speed up the recovery, but sadly doesn't typically impact the overall damage, either in its severity or in how long it lasts. As mentioned, most people experience fairly rapid recovery after a few weeks, but it's not entirely uncommon to have some residual damage for longer or even permanently. My gratitude this week is directly related to today's topic because my gratitude is for a handful of special tools that specifically help me see as someone who has sustained fairly significant visual impairment from optic neuritis and MS. I want to be sure to mention these helpful tools today so that if you currently or at some point in the future need some visual assistance, you'll have at least a few tools at the ready that can assist. First, without a doubt, my NeuroTint lenses are the biggest help. These are prescription lenses in Ray-Ban frames that block the specific light frequencies that cause me pain and limit my ability to see safely. Ask your optometrist about them. My optometrist had an entire binder full of lenses for me to try so I could find just the right tone for my personal protection needs. I wear these lenses during the daytime at the first sign of any visual disturbance to prevent them from getting worse. For me, the first sign can be double vision, gray or brown blotches, prismatic effects, migraine, extreme pressure and pain in my eye socket area, or what I affectionately call my multiple fonts vision. This is a phenomenon I haven't been able to find much about, so I'll briefly describe it here. When trying to read, parts of an individual letter or word may look different to me than the rest of the letter or word. So for example, taking the letter S, the top part of the curve may appear to be in bold font, yet the first bend below it may appear in grayscale, italic, or be completely missing. This forces my eyes to work extra hard to identify each letter and word. You can imagine it makes reading at times quite tedious. The NeuroTint lenses soothe my eyes and help them return to my normal vision sooner than later. That is, if I catch the eye fatigue early and can limit future exposure. I wear these glasses religiously after dark for any TV or tech screen exposure and find they also help me get ready to sleep in addition to soothing my tired eyes. I should also mention it was recommended by my optometrist to get anti-glare coating on both the exterior and interior of the lenses, and that really helps if you likewise suffer with light exposure sensitivity. If you don't yet require prescription lenses, you can purchase FL41 lenses on the cheap through Amazon and achieve similar relief. The more expensive ones, like the TheraSpecs Audrey Blue Light Glasses for Migraine and Light Sensitivity for $119, were my favorite until my vision deteriorated to the point where I needed to have my vision prescription present within the Neurotint lenses. In my research, I did come across some evidence that green lenses can also help with some types of light sensitivity, but I have no personal experience with those and can only vouch for the lenses I've tried, which tend to be more in the raspberry to blackberry color range, more in line with Serengeti driver's lenses or Maui Jim's rose-colored polarized lenses. When experiencing optic neuritis, for me and many others, the pain is deep behind the eye and near impossible to soothe. The second product I'm grateful I've found are Sleep Monkey Eye Masks. These eye masks, albeit a bit costly on Amazon at $29.99 a piece, are worth every penny, and the first ones I bought years ago are still in the rotation. They are machine washable, ensure total darkness, are a soft, smooth, cooling, wicking fabric as to prevent overheating at night, And they are fully adjustable, which is a really important feature, because depending on the level of pain I'm experiencing, I've found gentle to firmer pressure helps relieve the pain substantially. I wear one every night now, and have for years. I even put one in my emergency go bag since we live in a high fire danger area, since I can't imagine ever going without my sleep monkey mask, even for one night. It's an integral part of my nightly restorative sleep routine. I also really love my helpful lights. First, the Night Owl Book Light. This small, rechargeable via USB clip-on amber light allows me to continue reading most days after dark in a safe way. 17 dollars for a two-pack on Amazon. In a similar way, I also use my Lepower desk lamp daily. This LED adjustable neck lamp offers three color modes and five adjustable brightness levels. I bought this lamp several years ago for $19.99 on Amazon. Such a bargain. In addition, I love our smart lights in our home. These simple lights are easy to install and operate via app on your smartphone or through verbal connection to Google Home or Alexa. These lights can be adjusted in color and intensity. I set mine to 15% intensity and the color chocolate. Eric set up the home routine so they turn on automatically at dusk. And you can get a set of two color-changing smart bulbs on Amazon for $16.99. Another device that helps me a lot when my vision gets bad and I'm experiencing pain is Magic Gel's Headache and Migraine Relief Cap. This stretchy cap that goes over your eyes and head offers cooling relief. This is a rather new purchase, so I've only needed it once so far, but it certainly helped. At $32.99, it's well worth having in my freezer, so it's handy when I do need it. A newer tool, now available on Pages or in Google Suite, is being able to customize the background of our electronic documents to a more soothing color, so the background is not a painful bright white, which can be very difficult to look at, especially for sustained periods of time. This simple change has taken so long to come about, but I am so grateful for it. Since I prefer to type since it's much less taxing for my hands, which have also sustained damage from MS, this tool allows me to do more work for longer on my computer safely. Finally, for me, the last item I wanna showcase and express gratitude for today are my essential oils. Essential oils help me tremendously with my eyes, especially peppermint. Although I sometimes find past tense blend helps too if a migraine is accompanying the visual disturbance. When I use peppermint essential oil to help my vision, I use it in two ways. First, I apply it neat. Sorry, that's my inner bartender lingo. Shall we say I apply it straight, high quality peppermint essential oil onto my scalp topically as close to the area where I'm experiencing internal pain as I can get. Keep in mind, you'll want to maintain a fair distance from your eyes as peppermint is Quite a strong smelling oil. Also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you always want to be sure you're using a 100% pure peppermint essential oil to be safe, like doTERRA that is third-party tested and sustainably harvested. So make sure you're purchasing something that's safe. This is especially important when using essential oils internally or with kids or pets. And the second way I use peppermint for my vision is by popping two peppermint beadlets in my mouth. And taking slow, deep breaths in and out of my nose and mouth. When I do this, the topical and internal peppermint battles the inflammation from both directions and causes intense sinus drainage, which leads to pretty timely relief of both pressure and pain. I'm grateful I have found these helpful tools, and I'm also grateful that my career as an educator taught me how to search for creative solutions to my problems. After decades of implementing modifications and accommodations for my many students with various needs, I am now able to take better care of myself as a result, and that has made trying to live well with MS so much easier. I am hopeful that some of these tools will help you if you ever find yourself in need of them. Before we delve into a few more solutions, I want to spend a little time specifically looking at photophobia since this is an ongoing struggle for myself and a number of dear friends of mine who also live with MS and have experienced one or more episodes of optic neuritis. Photophobia, which if you recall is defined as an increased sensitivity and aversion to light, is quite common for people who have experienced optic neuritis. You may have noticed in recent years that there are now often warnings that show up on screen, typically near the rating and rating rationale at the movies or when watching a show on TV, to caution photosensitive viewers. Photosensitivity can also be linked to migraines, cataracts, or eye injuries, in addition to optic neuritis. The good news is that even though severe cases of photosensitivity can be tough, There are ways to minimize the pain and other limiting symptoms to make life a little easier. I want to start with saying that not all people who experience optic neuritis will experience photosensitivity, or they may experience it for a short time and then once they heal, never experience it again. According to the research, those who have experienced visual impairment and light sensitivity prior to an MS diagnosis and episode of optic neuritis are more susceptible to experiencing greater impairment, and as our MS progresses, will also be more likely to experience more serious vision disturbances. This is really important, because if this scenario applies to you as it does to me, If we value using our eyes to navigate and enjoy our lives and hope to keep it that way as our MS progresses over time, we need to take an active role in protecting the visual assets we do have and do everything in our power to protect ourselves from further degradation. So we know photosensitivity can be serious, but what does it feel like to have photosensitivity? For each of us, it can be different. It can be a minor nuisance or a major limiting factor in our lives. For me, I have been told I have fairly extreme sensitivity to light. I'm not surprised now that I know more about MS and visual impairment. I have had light-sensitive eyes since I began teaching in my early 20s in classrooms with fluorescent lights. Before my MS diagnosis and personal experience with optic neuritis, I just needed to wear sunglasses outside, and I was fine. But experiencing optic neuritis changed my eyes significantly. I will continue to share openly about my personal visual impairments throughout this episode, but please, rather than letting my experience scare you, dear listener... Please know that I share the following with the intention of calming you all so that you know that even if you ever experience damage as significant as mine, you'll rest assured knowing that there are tools to help us maintain a near normal life in many settings. I do have to wear special Neurotink lenses and a visor to be able to safely shop at Costco without incident. We also plan our shopping trips carefully so we're in and out in 30 minutes tops. But even with these tools in place, I can no longer shop at Walmart, Target, or Albertsons as their ceilings are much lower and their fluorescent lights are simply too bright, which causes intense pain and visual deficiency within minutes. I also need to be very careful when I drive somewhere alone because if I'm subjected to high temperatures, stress, or overexert myself, or have a reaction to something I eat, the first thing to go for me is my vision which could prevent me from being able to drive myself home safely. With photophobia, it is also common to sense even moderate lighting as unbearably bright, to be light adverse and to see bright colored spots, even when our eyes are closed, or get this, even when we are in the dark, which can be quite unsettling. We may also experience difficulty with reading, feel intense pain when looking at lights or tech screens. Our eyes may tear frequently, even though they feel quite dry. We may experience pain around our eye sockets or forehead and spend a good part of our waking hours just wanting to close our eyes for relief. Oftentimes, photophobia is accompanied by fatigue, nausea, or migraine with intense pain and pressure around the eyes and forehead. Migraines, in fact, are the most common cause of recurring photophobia, but it can also be caused by severe fatigue, trigeminal neuralgia, neuropathy of the face, head trauma, or even fibromyalgia. Photophobia can be most extreme for people with light-colored eyes, since their eyes naturally let in more light. People with cataracts, glaucoma, or retinal detachment can also experience photophobia since the retina functions as a light detector. Some common medications like ibuprofen or naproxen can trigger a photophobic reaction, as can some behavioral issues such as anxiety and depression. Many people who live with autism are also hypersensitive to surrounding stimuli, including bright or sudden lights, or even unexpected noises or sensations. The trigeminal nerve, which controls our eye and face sensations, can also play into photophobia. Severe photophobia can result in sudden changes in visual acuity, which can be quite problematic. For example, if you experience photophobia while away from home and then lack the ability to safely drive yourself home. If your doctor believes you may be experiencing photophobia, they will test for eye movements, visual acuity, pupil dilation, retina nerve, and blood vessel functionality, and also check for cataracts, glaucoma, and blood vessel diseases. They may measure eye fluid pressure, obtain special images like MRIs or x-rays, or collect blood to help identify potential infections, inflammation, or any hormonal irregularities. Once a diagnosis has been made and the underlying cause has been identified, there are some aspects of photophobia that can be treated. For example, if the root cause is a cataract or glaucoma, surgery can help. Or migraine medications can help if migraines are determined the root cause. Apart from those solutions, what's most necessary is to focus on relief of the photophobic symptoms we encounter by living in ways that help us cope. And these solutions help with many symptom aspects of optic neuritis, even if we aren't experiencing photophobia. Like... Wearing sunglasses are Neurotint lenses to protect our eyes from bright lights, or using green tinted lights and glasses because they do not induce photophobia to the same extent as other light colors. Decreasing one's exposure to light and using safer for us adjustable light sources. We can also use moisturizing eye drops to ease pain and dryness, like sustain ultra drops for comfort during the day and sustain gel drops for extra protection at night. We can take over-the-counter pain medication that is approved by our doctor, since as previously mentioned, some pain relievers can actually intensify visual disturbances. We can use essential oils for pain and symptom relief. We can use cannabis or CBD for inflammation reduction and pain relief. We can discuss prescription pain options or Botox injections as options with our doctor. We can also use a TENS unit to alleviate our pain. This surprisingly works quite well for all over body pain, but I was surprised to learn it can also be used for tension headaches and optic neuritis. This is a place where Google or YouTube can help, as once I read the suggestion, I was able to find a plethora of helpful videos that show the proper TENS unit pad placements for all sorts of MS pain points. We can also utilize smart lights that can be adjusted by color and intensity. As I mentioned, mine are set to 15% chocolate, which is a soothing amber-orange color, and they go on automatically at dusk. Eye patches can help, especially when experiencing balance struggles, vertigo, or double vision. There are some great shops on Etsy that make beautiful eye patches. We can utilize tools like Audible.com to reduce the strain on our eyes and give them a rest from time to time. We can use supplements like Ruta Graviolins or Vision X for eye strain if our doctor recommends it for us. We can schedule breaks every 20 or 30 minutes when doing work on screens to periodically rest our eyes. We can ensure we get adequate restorative sleep so that our eyes get maximum recovery time each night and start each day at their best capacity. We can change our settings on our phones and other devices to dark mode or turn down the intensity, increase the contrast or customize the background to meet our unique visual needs. We can also backlight our TV. Some companies embed this feature, often called Ambilight, but you can also purchase a simple kit to install on the back of your TV, like the GoV TV backlights. These USB-powered strip lights have 32 colors and are fully programmable for your comfort or even able to sync with music. We can use magnifying lenses to help us read. There are necklaces with hidden magnifying glasses so that they are easy to discreetly use while out shopping, for example, to look at price tags or ingredients, or menus while dining. And they even have magnifying overlays to put over pages of text. For those of us who struggle with reading, While originally created for children with dyslexia, guided reading strip bookmarks can really help us focus on seeing each letter and word as we read. They block surrounding text while a brightly colored highlighted strip helps focus our eyes on what we're trying to see. I used these in my classroom with my students initially to help students who needed it. But then eventually, I purchased them for all of my students since they found them so helpful, and it was an added bonus that I could actively see them following along as we read texts collaboratively together. My favorites were from ReallyGreatStuff.com, which is a great site for teaching materials, but you can also get a similar set of six on Amazon for $5.29. We can use ice packs, popsicles, cooling vests, fans, air conditioning, cool showers or soaks, UPF clothing, or even over-the-counter fever reducers to lower our core temperature and increase our optic nerve's ability to function properly. We can connect with others who understand photophobia firsthand, to so support one another and get the understanding we need since this is just one, of many invisible disabilities that we can experience with MS. If we know we suffer from photophobia regularly, it's important that we keep whatever tools help us most within reach to minimize the symptoms of photophobia when we are experiencing it. We can also learn to advocate for ourselves and our fellow MS community members in our homes, workplaces, online, and in the community so that more people become informed about visual disability and the sometimes necessary modifications and accommodations required to make life easier for those of us who suffer from visual impairments. By paying attention to and tracking our symptoms, we can better identify our unique photosensitivity triggers. Common triggers include stress, fatigue, lack of sleep, overexertion, overuse of the eyes, heat, and extreme cold, which increases plasticity and has a negative impact on a lot of our body's functionality. Identifying and removing or reducing our unique triggers is critical to learning to live well with photophobia and other visual disturbances. Visual impairment can have a significant impact on our quality of life, how we are able to navigate our daily tasks, and on our social emotional well-being. By being diligent and careful, we can prevent our MS-induced visual impairment from worsening over time. Understanding visual impairment is important for those of us with MS and those who love us. If someone in your life is suffering from visual disturbances or they are having a difficult time understanding your visual impairment, I hope you will consider sharing this episode with them and that they may develop further empathy as they deepen their own understanding of MS, optical neuritis, photophobia, and other related visual impairments that so many of us experience. I hope that after listening to this episode, we all, one, each have a better understanding of optic neuritis, photophobia, and other various visual impairments often experienced by those of us diagnosed with MS. Two, that we remember that while, like MS, visual impairment highly varies from person to person, there are strategies and tools that can help us continue to live full lives, even with high levels of visual disability. Three, that we prioritize visiting our doctor right away when we experience new or recurring visual symptoms to help preserve as much visual ability over time as possible. And four, that we honor the visual ability we do have by taking good care of ourselves, by limiting screen time, utilizing helpful strategies and tools, surrounding ourselves with supportive people who understand our visual needs, and avoiding triggers that may worsen our condition. The next flock meeting will be Saturday, August 7th. At the flock meeting, we'll discuss this episode and other episodes released later this month. And just spend some virtual time together supporting one another as we all strive to live well with MS. If you're not yet a flock member but would like to be, join us. We meet via Zoom the first Saturday of each month. And you can learn more and join us by visiting patreon.com/slash MSFlock. As always, I encourage all listeners to reach out with questions, comments, future podcast topics, or guest ideas via email to mymsflock at gmail.com. And lastly, remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together, supporting one another. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be well.